Hello and welcome to Health Ads Going Viral. I am Dr. David Lim. In this COVID update, Dr. Groman will bring you up to speed on COVID and what we should be expecting in the coming months. He will discuss the wave of antibiotic-resistant mycoplasma pneumonia coming to town as seen in China and now reported in the USA. Dr. Groman, tell us about yourself. Thanks again for the invitation, David. Uh, I'm a virologist. I consult independently. I'm a director currently of the Immunization Coalition in Australia, and I have been consulting to the World Health Organization over the last five years. Prior to that, I was with the TGA, Head of Immunobiology, for 17 years. The Going Viral podcast from HealthEd shares the latest on COVID-19, with leading voices from across Australia providing medical professionals with up-to-date information from reliable sources. Here's today's episode. Gary, this is COVID update December 2023. So there's been quite a lot of things happening. So I might just actually let you speak to what's more important to start with. Well, I, I think the most important thing uh, is the two recommendations from the World Health Organization, and they've made more than that, but these two I think are important. The first one we've spoken about before the end of the global health emergency, and I think it's important to understand that it's not an emergency anymore in the sense that we're getting thousands of cases going to hospital and thousands of people dying in Australia. But we still have to be careful, as we've discussed before, not to drop our guard, to keep all our systems in place, to keep emphasising the fact that COVID is still around and we are currently, as you know, in our eighth wave now, uh, and that these XBB strains of Omicron will continue for some time in kind of a steady state uh, infection in the community. And it's something we need to manage. And yes, we've got vaccines, great. And talk about those in a moment. We've got updated monovalent vaccines coming out next week. We've got antivirals, of course, which say we didn't have a lot of a year ago. Things have changed in that landscape. We also have better vaccines coming next year. And that's great too. And we also have, as you constantly point out, I keep saying, please use non-pharmaceutical interventions, whether it's masks or shopping a bit less or not going to crowds or keeping your house well ventilated. These are still all important things that we easily forget about and using uh, hand washing and sanitizers and all this thing. It, It doesn't mean we become isolated from society. It's just a matter of being careful and being aware that we still need all these interventions. And it's a total package. It's not just vaccines is going to solve the problem that some people think, or antivirals uh, or non-pharmaceutical interventions is going to be a collective effort of three or four prongs of attack. Uh, so that, I think, is a message that's important from WHO and to all of us. The second message they gave us was this shift back to monovalent vaccines. Uh, the shift back to monovalent vaccines is really important. We can go into more depth if you like, but mm-hmm. there's a general idea around that isn't correct, that just because you put more strains into a vaccine, then you will get a broader and better immune response. Those of us who know about immune imprinting, the immunologists in the audience should know about immune imprinting, and we know that not all uh, strains in the vaccine will be boosted equally. Mm-hmm. And often it's the ancestral strains that are boosted ahead of the most recent strains. Because of that, 
WHO has said we need to go back to monovalent vaccines, particularly with this virus. So we have two new monovalents coming out next week from Pfizer and Moderna. They're targeting XBB viruses, which is great. And the Novavax product, which is already a monovalent, I might add, uh, but they will also update their virus uh, to the next XBB, and that's coming out in February, I okay. believe. The protein vaccines will take slightly longer to manufacture than the mRNA uh, version of the vaccine. Gary, you said you would like to just go a little deeper into why back to the monovalence, and you did mention that in something I did believe, you know, you put more strains in, of course you get a broader response, but what you're saying is, wait a minute, David, it's the older strains that get boosted more than the recent ones. Just a quick explanation. Yeah, this was first seen by Pat Fazekas back in the 60s, and he noted quite correctly that by putting several antigens in, you often boost the ones you're not that interested in. Now, why that is exactly is unknown. He called it original antigenic sin, a very novel kind of description. So you will get boosting to ancestral strains. You won't get an even boosting over all strains. Studies have to be done really, really carefully. For example, when you add extra uh, proteins or peptides into a pneumococcal vaccine, or when you add more strains into a flu virus vaccine, mm -hmm. the regulatory side of it, if I can speak to that just very briefly, is that uh, whatever you add is fine as long as all the other ones that are already there and the new one have at least 80% of their original immunogenicity. And as long as that's the case, then it's allowable. But what you get in this case with COVID, and we've seen it in other vaccines too, is that you'll get a boosting to BA1 or BA2 or even a Wuhan or whatever is in there. You get a boosting to that rather than the latest strain you've put in. So it's much better to go for an updated monovalent vaccine mm -hmm. and just simply updated say every six months okay. that would make sense but i'll put a caveat on that david if i may the Thanks. fact is that xbb that whole group of xbbs it almost doesn't matter which one you pick you still you know if you're talking about 70 to 80 percent efficacy you will get that or more with all with with every member of that group so one is not better than the other so the current vaccines actually do pretty well. And while efficacy might drop uh, or effectiveness might drop by 5 or 10%, it's still giving tremendous protection against the most severe outcomes of hospitalization and death. So yes. I'm personally not too fussed whether I get an updated vaccine or not, and that's just Gary Groman speaking. But, um, of course, when the updated ones come along and you're a vulnerable person and eligible, then certainly please get the vaccine. Now, I'm going to come back and ask a question. It's a bit of a cheating question. But, of course, um, I remember, of course, the mRNA vaccines were uh, listed for public use on an emergency basis. And now the emergency is over. Uh, does that change anything with the mRNA vaccines? Uh, it does. So the, there's enough data collected on safety now to give it a full registration in most mm -hmm. countries in the world. So that's now occurred, but all the companies and the regulators would still be collecting safety data. And at the moment, there's no extra safety signal uh, for anything unusual, like say Guillain-Barre or myocarditis. The, the, the rates for myocarditis, we know they exist, but they are incredibly low. And the more data we get and the more is being realized, yes, it probably is 
one in a hundred thousand or more, and for the under thirties, it's probably something like one in fifty thousand. These are very, very rare events. Of course, not pleasant, but they are rare. And then we have the situation of long COVID from the natural infection, to which it would appear there's some evidence to say that vaccination gives about maybe 20, 25% protection mm-hmm. against severe long So there's that's another reason to take the vaccine, although that's not blindingly clear on the data. But there's certainly a very strong suggestion in that direction. So it does make sense if you're vulnerable, definitely get the vaccine. And of course, the other cheeky question I have is, we have essentially recombinant protein adjuvant versus the mRNA again, with the Novavax coming out in February with the monovalence. How do we make a choice to tell our patients or or just give it to them? Would there be any particular preference for any particular patient group? Yeah, that uh, is a tough one. Uh, Look, there's anecdotal evidence in my studies, uh, my research, that suggests that protein vaccines don't give as severe uh, reactions compared to mRNA vaccines in terms of measuring, say, days lost from work. So that's a reasonably good objective measure. The data I've seen is still unpublished, Mm -hmm. uh, some of it's anecdotal. But when I talk to various GPs in their clinics, they all say this, that when they give their patients a protein vaccine, they seem to have fewer issues when it comes to, say, feeling unwell for a day or two or taking time off work than an mRNA vaccine. But this is not across the board. Mm-hmm. There's also plenty of data points, people getting mRNA vaccines that have no issues whatsoever. So it's a very difficult question to answer. It comes down to a choice of platform at the end of the day. Do you want an mRNA or do you want a protein? Both of them are equally efficacious. Both of them appear to be equally safe. Both have more or less the same adverse reactions if you ignore the anecdotal evidence for the moment. In terms of real-world studies and clinical studies, it appears to be about the same. So it just becomes a matter of preference for a particular platform. But having said all that, it is also known that heterologous immunity is much better rather than getting homologous. So it makes sense then if you've had, say, Moderna, primary course, then it makes sense to get either a Pfizer or a Novavax booster. If you've had Pfizer, it makes sense to get either a Novavax or Moderna booster. Uh, if you've reacted to the mRNA platforms, then obviously you'll prefer a protein. If you have, Although I haven't seen much data on it, but if you react to the protein platform, then you would consider mRNA. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's uh, just a matter of common sense from here on. But if you need a vaccine, you should get the one that's available. I actually think that's a very good phrase that was coined by a politician somewhere along the line. Uh, but I think that's right. If you want a vaccine, you're about to travel or you're an at-risk person, you haven't had one for six months, then definitely take the one that's available because it will give you very, very good protection against serious endpoints. It may not be the latest and greatest, but it will still give you very, very good protection. Yeah, Gary, we're not going to just cast our eye on the real-world situation with, you know, the numbers in the northern hemisphere with COVID rising again. I mean, that's what's happening there, but our international travels are also increasing. So what do you expect is going to happen to Australia in the coming months? Oh, uh, the wave will increase, there's no doubt. Uh, we're going to get, the community will be reseeded with new COVID viruses coming in from overseas, there's no question. Uh, so that's going to um, add to the current wave. 
the wave will increase because people will be moving around a lot more, visiting family, flying, and so on and so forth. There'll be all those uh, issues. And because of all that movement, there's a far greater chance of COVID spreading around. So it's really important these non-pharmaceutical interventions become quite important. We're all going to do extra shopping and Christmas shopping and food shopping and take holidays and drive to the coast or drive here and there, fly here, here and there, and so on. There'll be tremendous movement during December and January, and that's when the wave will peak, almost certainly. But the good news is we've got very, very few people going to hospital and even fewer dying. So it's extremely unlikely uh, that uh, anybody who's not vulnerable will come down with a serious infection. But if they do come down with an infection, they must isolate. I think that message has been lost a bit. People do seem to go to work or take it very casually these days. And I think that's unfortunate. That's also aiding the spread. But if you're COVID positive on a rat test, please stay home. Uh, stay home until you're COVID negative on a, on a rat test. And I think that's a very simple solution. And uh, isolate as best you can with a ventilated home. That just makes sense. But whether that message is getting through or not, I'm not so sure. Gary, I always value speaking with you about these non-pharmaceutical measures. I've just spoken with Professor Grant Waterer about the RSV. And of course, he did say that masks do work. Uh, and, and that people have forgotten that they cannot say it doesn't work. Uh, but I have to express enormous concern about the statement that you said that we shouldn't drop our guard because COVID is still around. Graham, my friend, I think for Australians, COVID is not around. And it's going to be so hard to continue to press this message. Do you have any gems, any wisdom, any words of wise advice for patients put it this way masks will really help and they will give you a high level of protection and will also stop you from spreading anything you're carrying asymptomatically to other people so masks can be very very useful number one number two vaccines are not going to stop the infection going around the community we normally associate vaccines having the ability to hold transmission for example polio or measles but that's not the case when it comes to influenza and COVID vaccines, simply not the case. They help us avoid the more serious endpoints. But it won't stop transmission from person to person. And unfortunately, the word vaccine is associated with that statement, uh, which is fine. But these are different kinds of vaccines. They don't stop transmission from person to person. They do protect against serious endpoints. Then it brings up the question, uh, well, what else can we do? Well, we have antiviral drugs as uh, as well. But what actually stopped transmission around Australia before the vaccines appeared? And the answer to that is non-pharmaceutical interventions. It not only stopped when they were really solid, it not only stopped the transmission of COVID or the introduction of COVID, it also stopped RSV, influenza, and pneumovirus, uh, pertussis, and a whole bunch of other respiratory agents. And they all went to an all-time low for a long while. Then we introduced COVID vaccines and we started to release restrictions and then the transmission rates increased markedly. I have a graph here to show that, but I can't show you online. But it's very, very stark and very, very obvious. So we need, as I said before, a three-pronged approach. We still need our vaccines, of course, for the vulnerable in particular. 
we need non-pharmaceutical interventions and we need that highlighted by government, by doctors to their patients, absolutely, because they work. And um, we also need our antiviral drugs. So, yes, get vaccinated, particularly if you're in the recommended age groups via TAGI. And as you know, that anybody over 75, uh, anybody with an underlying, a serious underlying condition, any First Nations person over 50. Uh, and for everybody else, it's optional. In fact, it's not even recommended for anybody under 75 unless they have underlying conditions. But there is that word there, consider, if you want to get it. I personally would add to it if you're about to travel, particularly overseas, definitely get a vaccine because you don't want to end up in a hospital overseas. Mm. Uh, so that would make sense. If you're a frontline worker, you should always uh, be vaccinated, in my view, and wear non-pharmaceutical or have non-pharmaceutical interventions. And uh, if, um, if, you're, if a woman is pregnant, I would highly recommend taking the COVID vaccine. Uh, prior, uh, pre preferably in the first trimester or prior. All, all that makes sense. There's not a lot of evidence to say that um, there's damage to the fetus during COVID, at least nothing significant, but it's just an easy precaution, very easy precaution. So we need to go for simplicity now. We, we've had over 700 million people have contracted COVID uh, as of October and nearly seven, um, uh, sorry, 771 uh, million cases and 6.9 uh, million deaths. And that's at least. That case fatality rate is actually really small because the um, confirmed cases will be far more than 771 million. It's more likely two or three billion. Uh, it's just not all reported now. But deaths are recorded quite accurately. So we can assume that they're more or less correct, plus or minus 5%, in which case the case fatality rate is below 0.05%. So from that point of view, it's becoming less and less of an emergency too. But people are still dying, particularly our over 75s, people in nursing homes and so on, all need to have that extra level of care. Gary, you mentioned a few things which I'm going to bring together now. Uh, the first is that it could be that, uh, you know, after the COVID lockdown and all the use of antibiotics, uh, people are beginning to get sick. I'm really looking at China at the moment because that's what they're blaming on the sudden rise of particular types of pneumonia. And also the concern that um, travel from China and into China is actually a lot easier now. What in the world is actually happening in China with regard to this mystery pneumonia? Well, it's not uncommon, David, that after a pandemic, other microbiological agents come back with a vengeance kind of thing. Uh, now, we've seen this before. In fact, we've seen it in Australia with measles, for example. Uh, we've also seen it with pertussis uh, after uh, the pandemic. And now we've seen flu starting to rise. So they fill the gap, so to speak. Um, I'm giving a lecture at the, um, uh, shortly called Mind the Gap. Uh, and the uh, gap is, after, you know, post-pandemic and then getting back to normality, that gap is going to be filled because we haven't had exposure to RSV or rhinovirus or influenza because of lockdowns uh, and uh, various other restrictions. So these things will come back. It's important to get childhood vaccinations back online because some of them might have been missed and adult vaccinations as well because some of those might have been missed during a lockdown, apart from all the other things a person might go to a GP for. But in terms of vaccines, it's important to make sure you're up to date. So that's the first thing I'd say about it. Now, mycoplasma pneumoniae has been detected and attributed to these 
what can really be called an epidemic in China that's now spreading to the US. Why? It's easily treatable by antibiotics, except this is probably a resistant strain. And I think the what, what I think is happening is that we are now going to get waves of resistant microorganisms that might be easily treatable in the past. Uh, they might come to the fore and those for which we have vaccines and we haven't been getting the vaccines and they may come to the fore in children as well, as we've seen with RSV. So I watch this space because I think there will be more epidemics or uh, not, I don't think there'll be a pandemic yet, but there'll certainly be more epidemics. There will be more organisms of public health concern. And unfortunately, we might reap what we've sown when it comes to overuse of antibiotics. And uh, this might be the first chapter in that. I don't want to cause alarm, but I think watch this space and be very, very careful uh, with mycoplasma and pneumoniae. Get it diagnosed quickly, get it treated quickly, isolate quickly. Again, the non-pharmaceutical interventions are going to be critical in stopping the spread of this epidemic, whether in China, the US or elsewhere. I saw today on the news that uh, it's been suggested that people not travel to China. That's going to be politically difficult, but I think it's something that really does need to be considered because we don't want microorganisms that have, um, with antimicrobial resistance to be reseeded back into Australia, even though we have probably better medical care, but still we don't want outbreaks in our children of uh, some of these organisms. So I think it's time to be careful again and for health authorities to really think it through carefully and be proactive and not reactive. We were reasonably proactive with COVID. We did stop planes. We uh, touted all the non-pharmaceutical interventions. We were very, very careful. We kept this virus out for something like nine months and saved a lot of lives by doing that. But we need to keep up the fight, not only against COVID, but now these other organisms that are going to come in and fill the gap. Now, may not only be mycoplasma, there might be other bacteria involved. We just need more information from China. But it seems to be more likely at this stage to be bacterial than viral, just based on the symptoms that have been reported and the laboratory tests, of course. So we just need the information, and I hope uh, that China will provide all the information possible. Uh, it's, but it's certainly not COVID or flu at this stage. A couple of concerns in my mind. The first is that there was a degree of opacity with giving us information regarding COVID to begin with. And this mycoplasma pneumonia epidemic within China is now probably entering its third week, probably. And I know that WHO have been requesting information and has received some. Again, I do not know the degree of opacity. What concerns me is the fact that you are telling us that it's likely that the mycoplasma is a resistant strain because of the overuse of antibiotics, probably during the pandemic itself. Have we confirmed the fact that it is in fact a resistant strain and that this strain has now appeared in America? And if so, I, I must say, Gary, this is actually very concerning. It's very concerning. The best data, David, is from the US, from North America. CDC made a statement today, I saw on the news uh, and on the internet. Uh, it's the what they're seeing in the US is mycoplasma and what they're seeing are antibiotic resistant strains. So I think the best data we're going to get will be from North America and that will be accurate. Uh, and I think we can rely on that. So let's keep an eye on that one. 
China, I'm not so sure. I just don't know what they're reporting to WHO. As you know, I consult the WHO, but there's just no good information coming in, uh, I'm told, in the people I work with. So it still remains a question mark, and unfortunately it causes a lot of anxiety and fear because people think, is it a new virus, is it COVID, is it flu, is it a new flu, is it an animal flu, is it whatever? All these things we normally think of, but now we've been surprised again. We, you know, when the pandemic occurred, we thought, oh, it's flu. No, it wasn't. It was COVID. Now we're surprised again. Is it another flu? It's sort of the first thing we grab. No, it's an antibiotic resistant um, uh, bacterial agent, uh, potentially. Uh, so maybe we'll know more in a few days. Uh, but um, so far, that's what the data looks like. And the head of CDC made a statement about that this morning. I, I really, really have to ask if it's possible when you get more data about what in the world is happening with this particular bacteria, that we might have to speak again, because this will put the impetus again on those non-pharmaceutical intervention that you so famously and consistently speak of. Well, that's, that's right. Well, the other bacteria we've seen rise are STDs. There's been a huge surge in the US and everybody, you know, we all might think, oh, this is unrelated, but just stop and think about it for a moment. <laughs> you know, again, we've got antibiotic resistant strains. We've got an increase in congenital syphilis. In fact, it's been okay. called, called a surge. Uh, and uh, we've seen it with a number of other bacterial STDs. So I think we need a broader awareness now, David, of the things that might occur in this gap. Let's mind the gap. You know, we've got to be very careful in this gap between the close of a pandemic or the petering out of a pandemic and then coming back to normality because other things are going to surge and rise. And they might surge and rise for different reasons, uh, but they're rising. So we can't simply ignore it. Uh, and part of that story, maybe not the whole story, but part of that story will be antimicrobial resistance, which we have known about for 20 years. Gary, your statement that it's coming home to roost and that it might be the first signal that we have that antibiotic resistance is becoming significant is likely to be happening in front of our eyes and we will watch this space and watch that gap but i can't get over the feeling that you say the gap is between the pandemic and normality if this is reality then normality will no longer be the normality we know no that's right this could be very tricky for us in 2023-24 if you look back at past pandemics whether it's anything from influenza through to leprosy, um, uh, through to cholera and typhoid and so on. Once these various epidemics or pandemics sweep through, mm -hmm. there's a pause for a while. And then there are other agents that come with a vengeance. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've seen this again and again, but they're all different, of course. But the problem is we've tended to induce this antibiotic resistance one ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we, you know, how do we get out of it? We can use less antibiotics, fewer antibiotics, we can um, invent new antibiotics, or we can look for other methods to fight bacteria. But all the time, all the time, the answer is education, 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 not only of doctors and frontline workers, not only them, uh, but also of patients and also uh, in the general community. Everything from doctors to pharmacists to school teachers, anybody that's a frontline worker educating others in some way, uh, needs to get this message over. Uh, it's really, really important because if we have to face 
a number of organisms that are resistant to a variety of antibiotics, then we could truly be in trouble. There could be a different sort of pandemic, a different sort of wave. And I'm hoping that this, what's happening in children, who of course are the most vulnerable group, what's happening in children will begin soon to reach a peak and then start falling. Let's hope. Mm. That's that's the case. But it is still increasing in China, and there is clearly uh, a small epidemic that's being contained in North America. That's where we'll get the best information, of course. All right. Now, Dr. Groen, I believe that within two, max three weeks, those data from America will increase. And um, I, I really would love to keep in touch with what's happening there because this is actually, well, in my own mind, of significant concern because... Um, we just don't need antibiotic-resistant bugs spreading around. So if you don't mind, if you've got some data, do inform me because I'm sure our listeners would love to know. Yeah, no, we'll definitely share that data as soon as we all know. The problem is getting accurate data, and the best bet is CDC at this stage. Okay. Gary, once again, my friend, I, I just thank you for bringing us up to date and going through what's happening and how best to look after ourselves and once again, the very famous mentor of yours, that non-pharmaceutical uh, approaches, we will definitely keep that in mind because it really hasn't gone away. That's right. Let's not forget them. There is still a very important part of our strategy against COVID and any other infectious disease. Thank you so much, my friend. Have a great Christmas. Have a good Christmas, David. Take care. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high-quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.